This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Just coming off of Ned Roots just a couple of weeks ago. Happy to have back with us for another edition of Thursday Coast. We did Thursday Coast live uh, from Ned Roots in Chicago. That was fun. It was I wish fun. we could always do it live. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I got a chance to see a lot of people. Marcos of Daily Coast, the founder and publisher and the founder of Civics with a Q and the host of the podcast, The Brief. So Ned Roots was a success this year. I think we would agree. Yeah, it was. It was. Um... Um, it was one of the largest by people attendees. It was the largest by paid attendees, uh, which is surprising given, you know, we're still sort of, I guess we're pretty much out of the pro, the post COVID phase. People are starting to feel more comfortable going out and about. And maybe there's some energy there. People want to get out and about. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of energy there. Chicago, I think, is a lot more accessible. It's a very accessible city for people around the country to fly to. Uh, it's very central. Uh, and I think next year in, in Baltimore, right on the Acela line, I think that's going to be huge. I think next year's is going to be uh, next level. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I'm excited with the people that I got to meet and and uh, the energy we felt and the optimism for next year's um, presidential and Senate and House elections and, and state level elections. I think we have an incredible bench. I'm, I'm so excited about our young our young uh, Democrats in the House. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to keep doing that work and keep growing this movement. Because as I said in my, I spoke in the keynote, and I, I always keep coming back to this. And I did the same thing last year, Marcus. We need to sort of remember how far we've come in 20 years. I, I find that energizing. Because if you sort of get caught in a moment, you mean, oh, Joe Manchin, oh, Kirsten Cinema, oh, what pains in the butt? Oh, why is Dick Durbin doing blue slips? And why do we still have a filibuster? Like it's easy to get caught in a moment and think everything is 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 crap, but then you sort of step back and you look how far we've come, and it proves that the work that we're doing, Mark, it matters. And none of the gains we have made in the last twenty years happened by accident. None of them happened just by default. Every single gain that we've had is because we worked as a movement to make those gains happen. And so I'm not just excited about how far we've come. I'm excited where we're going to be in 20 years from now. And so I like to look long distance and it's sometimes people don't like to look long distance, but um, it helps when you go back 20 years and go, oh, okay, yeah, 20 years doesn't seem that long ago. And yeah, we've come a long way in 20 years. No question about it. You mentioned Joe Manchin. Let me start there. Why does he want to flirt with running for president? What's, what's that about? <laughs> He's a dumbass. He loves to be the center of attention. It's so clear that that he loves to be in front of a camera. He loves people worrying about him. He he weirdly gets off on it. Um, I don't think he's gonna run. Uh, I mean, one of the things he said is that that he would not play spoiler and he would not run unless he thought he could win. And there is no unit. He's not a dumb person. He's not stupid. I mean, you don't win re-election in a 40-point Trump state as a Democrat by being stupid. Everything he does is calculated to win in points. And every time liberals and Democrats get angry at him, that helps him stay in power in West Virginia. So a lot of it is calculated. A lot of it is actually, I think, just tolerated by leadership because they're like, all right, Joe, like, do what you need to do to get reelected. Because reality is we're worse off if he's not in the Senate than, than if he is. What we need is 
a one vote Senate majority, not including Joe Manchin. So let's say that uh, Ruben Gallego replaces Kirsten Cinnamon in Arizona. We hold our ground everywhere. So we still have a 51-49 Senate, but we have, you know, we we have that one extra vote for ending the filibuster. That's what that's what we need. So um yeah, no, I don't we don't we don't want Joe Manchin to lose, but you gotta tolerate him though. So I yeah, I don't think he's gonna run. I think he's just he just like he likes the headlines, he likes the attention. Okay. Well that's that that's good No, Good thing he's not. Well, I don't know if he's not, but that's my guess. (laughs) Well, I agree with you. And I'm hearing from people saying that that's not what he really wants to do. And there's a lot of tolerance. And I've even asked others in the close to the Biden administration why they aren't more upset about it. But I think they all kind of feel like, well, you know, he's just doing this. As long as he doesn't really pull the trigger. Yeah. Everything is okay. Everything is will 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 be okay. Right. Right. So so we just kind of have to, I guess, hope for the best. Uh, on that, um, hold everything. So Gallego, how, what do we know about the Arizona race? I mean, every poll that we've seen has Gallego narrowly ahead. Every poll that we've seen has Kirsten Cinema with like ten percent of the vote. I don't think she's going to run. Actually, it just doesn't. Unless she decides she wants to play spoiler and, and try to screw over the Democrats for sort of drumming her out of the party. I mean, I guess that's possible. She's just not raising a lot of money. She's running to the right. So as a spoiler, it's a weird place to, to run. So it's kind of like a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Like, you know, you don't play spoiler by going on Fox News in a Democratic primary. It just doesn't work that way. She wants to go on Fox News and take votes away from the Republican candidate, all the power to her. So I don't even think it's that clear cut that, uh, that she harms Democrats. And so uh, I actually, I mean, I like our chance. It's, it's Arizona. It's going to be a close race. We can't take anything for granted, obviously. Uh, it's going to be a hard fight. But I like where Ruben Gallego is right now. He's raising a lot of money. Um, he seems to be bringing the party together. Cinema is increasingly isolated. I don't see a lot of people running to her defense. I don't see anybody running to her, def- to her defense, actually. I mean, you know what's like Robert... Kennedy Jr., you see Republicans rallying to him, rallying to him, but you don't even see that with cinema. So it's weird. She's 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 burnt every bridge. She's got no friends. I'm not I'm not sure what she thinks she's doing, to be honest. I I, I even wonder some days if she really wants to do this anymore. You know, it, it's weird. She likes to be a troll. I mean, I think that much is clear at this point, but I don't know that anybody's being trolled anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. Joe Manchin knows how to troll. Like he, he it's and and it benefits him in, in the state where being a troll against Democrats is actually a plus. I don't know what cinema thought she was doing and who she thought she was appealing to. And, and I guess at some point she thought she was going to be a, a, a John McCain maverick. But John McCain was a Republican. He was a real Republican. And his maverickness was a fraction and he talked crap about his party he, he when he voted against eliminating the uh, affordable care act it was it was it was a vote of conscience it wasn't him being i'm gonna like troll republicans like he actually believed that given his own health issues he 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 wasn't able to join his party 
Um, I, you know, I'm willing to get Joe Manchin votes like that, given his his state. Right. But cinema, none of what she does makes political sense. And she thinks that just by being an a-hole, that's what being a maverick was. But John McCain wasn't an a-hole. He was not. He was actually beloved by people because he stood for something. And even if you disagreed with what he stood for, it was genuine. And nothing about cinema is real. And that's that's her problem. That's why she's sort of lonely and isolated because nobody likes her. Nobody trusts her. And all the fancy outfits. And she's walking around in pink thinking, you know, thinking she's Barbie. No, nobody cares. Like she's she's just tiresome and boring and yesterday's news. And people have seemed to have been moved on. And Gallego is the future of that of that Arizona Democratic Party. Now, you mentioned holding what we have. Is everybody else pretty safe? No, I no, no, not at all. We have to defend. I, I think Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin's look actually looking pretty good, uh, just because Repu no, no Republican wants to run. Like they can't get anybody to run against her, so it's going to be a tight race. But it's it's all their high profile potential candidates have have passed on their race. But we're going to have a tough race in Ohio. Sherrod Brown is a legitimately liberal in a eight point Republican state in a presidential year. And, and Sherrod Brown has some magic sauce that, you know, he, he, he gets reelected in Ohio in a tough state, but presidential year is going to make it tougher. Um, he's got advantages, right? He can ran, run on abortion right now, the abortion issue, because Republicans are trying to eliminate it via ballot initiative. They're realizing they're going to lose. So they're trying to eliminate the ballot initiative process, not eliminate, make it a lot harder. You need 60% of the vote to pass anything which is almost impossible. And, and, uh, but that effort is failing by a lot. I mean, last poll I saw was like 30% approved, you know, supported like 58% were against it. So abortion is going to be a very powerful issue in Ohio next year for Sherrod Brown. He's going to, he's going to ride that issue hard and for good reason, because Republicans are trying to eliminate abortion at the national level. Then you have, um, Joe Manchin, obviously, and, uh, he's going up against the governor who, um, it's also who happens to be a former Democrat, which is uh, there's, so there's some hope that maybe in the primary, he, he you know, he doesn't make it through uh, some MAGA person. But um, that's going to be a tough, tough, tough race. And then you got Montana. That's going to be a tough race. That's a 10 point Trump state. And John Tester is running for reelection. Again, the abortion issue is playing really well for Democrats in Montana. Uh, uh, he's going to write that that very hard. And then if there's. Definitely big signs on, uh, on just trends-wise, demographics-wise, that a lot of the college towns, Montana has several large college towns, are, are performing really well and have a lot of potential to sort of to uh, save John Tester's um, hide in that election. So basically, we have to survive Montana, Ohio, uh, um uh, Montana, Ohio, uh, West Virginia, and maybe maybe Wisconsin. And we really don't have any real pickup opportunities. Our, our two best pickup opportunities are Texas and Florida. And <laughs> there is Ted Cruz is is hugely unpopular. So there's maybe an outside chance that that can be competitive. Ted Cruz only won by two points last time he ran for election six years ago against Beto O'Rourke. I mean, there's a maybe an outside chance that something there happens. Florida, 
Rick Scott is is not particularly beloved, but you know, Florida's Florida. If we win those two states, it's because we've absolutely crushed it everywhere else. So I don't see those as you know, those are not the states that will save the Democratic majority. Those would be the states that any Democratic blue wave would would um, expand because we've already held Wisconsin, Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio. So it's tough. The Senate is tough. It's savable, but it's tough. tough. The House is a different question. The House, I think we're we're gonna we're gonna win. We're gonna win handily. There's 18 Biden districts, and they're gonna revert. revert. Um, not only that, but there is the redistricting that is happening in Alabama, in Louisiana, and Alabama's they're trying to cheat. They're trying to ignore the Supreme Court. We're going to get an extra black uh, majority district in Alabama. We're going to get an extra one in Louisiana. The Wisconsin Supreme Court is going to draw new new lines in Wisconsin, hopefully in time for the next election. The New York legislature is going to draw new lines. So just by drawing new lines, I mean, we may we may be picking up, you know, a good four to five seats right there. That's the Republican majority. Now you have 18 buying districts, and some of them are heavily buying districts. Are good, and we just had low turnout in Southern California and New York because there wasn't anything of real value on the ballot. Neither state was worried about losing their right to abortion, right? So a lot of the issues that played in battleground states did not play in the two biggest Democratic states. They're going to turn out next year. And, um, and so right there, that's probably worth another five, five seats right there. And then there's just Democratic you know, seats that, I mean, Republican held seats that they won by a sliver that are buying districts um, all across the country. So I, I could see us ending with a 10, 15 seat majority at the end of uh, once all the votes are counted. So I'm, I'm feeling really good about the House. Just the map, is, it looks really good. The trends look really good. The Senate is, is Senate's tough. So what happens if Trump stays on the ballot or if he doesn't? In other words, is it, is it, better for Republicans, it, are more people going to come out? And we've, we've, you know, discussed this question before, whether or not his presence brings more of those voters out that otherwise wouldn't come out. What do we know? Hence, more vote if he's on the ballot, less vote if he's not, or are there some signs that they're just enough of them, a sliver of them that are sick of him too? Wait, do we know we, anything about that? We know that Trump brings out people that do not vote otherwise. We do know that. We, these are disaffected world whites who, who are nihilists. And so they don't believe in any politicians, but they believe in, in Donald Trump, the individual. And that's non, a good- Non-college non educated. Yeah, yeah. And this is a good 10 to 20% em, em, empathetic, of the electorate. Empathetic to felons. Go ahead. So these, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are people that, that we didn't even know existed politically. We always talked about, you know, non-performing core democratic constituencies. Like these guys came out and they came out a little bit in 20, uh, in 2016 and, you know, Trump won by the electoral college. They came out in even bigger numbers in 2020, which uh, it just, we were saved by an even larger surge in democratic based turnout. But um, these people exist. They did not turn out last year which is one reason that Democrats did so well. It's the reason that Republicans cannot quit Donald Trump because they, 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 I think they look at the math and yeah, they've been losing since Donald Trump was elected, but they realize that if they lose 10, 15, 20% of their, of their, of their base, 
without Trump around or, or with an angry Trump actively telling them not to vote, because, you know, Donald Trump would do that if he's not the nominee, that they can't win. Now, I suspect that, that Mitch McConnell nowadays, which is he would have voted for impeachment, just rip that bandaid off, right? Because you can't rebuild as a party. After, after what was it, 1976, the Republicans looked really bad shape after Watergate and after Richard Nixon. Four years later, they had, they had Ronald Reagan, right? So people have short memories. Things happen. And uh, once a party is in power for too long or you know, long enough, and there's, there's, there's a very real chance that the Democrats may have a real long uh, streak here because Democrats are, you know, Republicans are looking for. So, yeah, you rip off that Band-Aid. You have a bunch of pissed off Trump supporters. They, they quit politics. But they can more than be offset by growing suburban college-educated voters, right? Make a play for them. But instead, they're, they're really banking on these rural voters, um, evangelical uh, voters. It's a shrinking number. Gun, gun owners, there are more guns. But they're concentrated in fewer and fewer people. That's a shrinking demographic. Old Southern white men, they're old. They're sh- it's that it's actually shrinking by the year as opposed to growth demographics. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it harder for college students to vote, make it harder for black and brown voters in urban areas to vote. Like they're doing what they can't prevent growth liberal uh, constituencies from voting. And they haven't really tried to, to, um, to get in the way of suburban white voters yet. Um, I wouldn't doubt that they may at some point try to do that if, because they're not going to try to compete. Uh, but right now, it's still enough of a swing demographic. And you still have those suburban white men that are voting Republican. If they start, you know, if that group starts chipping away, you know, start swinging to the Democrats, which I think they're starting to at least consider it then I think Republicans are, are particularly in deep trouble. So uh, those, are, those are big factors. And I would love to see, I would love to see movement with those white suburban college-educated men next year. We're talking five, 10 points. We don't need to see a big swing. The other piece, and this is what, I don't know if you ever talked to Simon Rosenberg. Um, he, so he would be a great person for you to you talk to. He's, he's uh he used to be the head of the New Democrat Network, which was sort of a centrist, New Democrat, Bill Clintonian um, think tank. And like he's evolved so far beyond that. And, and he was one of the few people last year, along with us at Daily Coast, that were saying, like, Democrats are going to win. And he built a big Twitter following around it. And now he has a sub stack. And so he's got what he's calling the 55% project, right? Which is just if you get, if you increase voter turnout with young voters, with black voters, with Latinos, with, with single women, just by two, three points, you can go from Democrats winning 51, 52% of the national vote to 55%. You're talking a three-point shift, right? That three-point shift means you're barely winning by the margins to a 55-45 Democratic majority, which makes it incredibly difficult for Republicans to win the presidency and actually starts moving states like North Carolina in down-ballot seats, the Senate seats, uh, Florida, Texas, starts moving them closer in our direction and accelerates the, the transition of states like South Carolina, Mississippi to uh, contested, contested status. So it doesn't seem that ambitious to go just go three points with these groups. But you do that and that 55, 45 percent Democratic majority is actually real. So it's 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 fun to hear him. He's, he's done the math. It's actually kind of fascinating. And uh, so, yeah, I would I would recommend you talk to him. But um, why did I bring up Simon Rosenberg? 
uh, I don't know, maybe, oh, just the idea that we have these sort of demographics that, that are growing and Republicans are not trying to compete anymore. They're trying to subvert their ability to vote. So, um, yeah, that's where we are today. And, and, and if I was a Republican, I would rip that Band-Aid off, boot Donald Trump from the party. Understand you're going to lose two, three elections in a row, but then you can rebuild something that is more broadly accepted. And, and that would be like a, just a low taxes, anti-crime party. And I think it would do really well. Well, but as you mentioned, um, they, Watergate was a setback. Then they came back with Ronald Reagan sooner than they should have. But let's face it, a lot of the people who were involved in Watergate still came back and kept trying to justify it and write it and do it better the next time. Remember, Nixon never admitted it was a crime. He just says it was a botched operation. And, and, and so, it, well, let's get it right the next time. So you had Watergate alums in the Reagan administration, in the, in the Bush one administration, in the Bush two administration, and now obviously around Trump. So there's just a culture. There's never been anybody to emphatically state, we want to root this culture there's another website you and I know, crooksandliars.com. We, we, we want to root the crooks and liars out of this process. It never happened. Now, nope. but we also know the, really the only real reason that Reagan came to being was because of the economy. The economy was in very bad shape. And they took advantage of that. Okay. What are your thoughts? And, I'm, and I'm, this is a sort of a civics with a Q question as well, because I'm looking at some of the polls and people aren't real enthusiastic about the economy on civics. But yet the White House is touting Bidenomics, continued job growth, fully restored employment since COVID. So what, what's, um, what's the deal? Is the, is the economy okay? Is that enough? Will that help? I mean, the, the, the economy is probably the best economy that we've seen in, in generations. I mean, not only is, is unemployment at essentially functionally almost zero, 3% to 60 year low, but uh, inflation is, is under control and it's the lowest inflation rate in the industrialized world. I mean, we're not seeing these kind of numbers in Europe or Asia. So it's, very little for Republicans to really grasp on. So they're going to still talk about gas prices are too high. And so they're, like, they're going to ride that horse because why not? Now, polling's never going to show that people really think the economy is well because any Republican answering the poll is going to ans absolutely answer no, just for partisan reasons, their own personal situation. So there's been polling done. I think Navigator does this where they, they, don't, they, they ignore the partisan component and they say, is your financial situation better or worse off? Uh, the last X number of years. And if you ask it absent of the partisan envelope, you know, framework, you get like 70, 80% of people say that they're better off individually. They're better off. And it is in Biden and the Democrats' interest to really hammer this idea of Bidenomics because all the indicators look freaking fantastic. All the economists thought that we were going we to go into recession because of the inflation issue. Uh, and how could you lower inflation if you had such high growth uh, job numbers? You know, the more people have money, the more they spend. That drives inflation by economic theory. But somehow, that's not happening. Inflation is down. Employment uh, remains 
record highs, unemployment at record lows, and uh, stock market's doing great. So anybody that's that's got investments are going to look at those and and be pretty pleased. So it's a question of selling it and and trying to counter that conservative narrative that's going to be all dominant, right? Because Fox News is going to be going on and on and on about the bad economy, ignoring the actual numbers. And there are going to be enough people that are going to do so for partisan reasons. And a lot of people don't pay attention or peripherally do so. And they may not like, they may be personally making a lot more money because their job makes more money, but they pay a little bit more on gas. And so that gets them angry. Um, so that's going to be the challenge, I think, uh, is taking credit for that economy and really, really selling it. And, you know, Democrats are terrible at selling <laughs> at selling their own policies and successes. This is not something that that we really nailed as a party in the past. So, um, but I will I will I will say this, Mark, is that last year the economy didn't look so great. Inflation was at eight nine percent during the election, and we still won it because in the end, the election wasn't about the economy. It was about abortion rights personal freedoms and a defense of democracy from a democratic uh, Republican party that's trying to essentially uh, destroy our democracy. And none of that has changed moving into next year. So those two issues are still going to be salient. Given the where the economy is now as, as a backdrop, it's going to be an even more favorable environment for, for Democrats. So I'm incredibly bullish on next year. And I suspect you're going to see all these Democrats running out in, in full force talking about how great the economy is. And I think that'll have an impact. Yet the Fed in the past 24 hours has raised interest rates. If there's not and they're saying, admitting that that there's no like no longer a likelihood of a recession. So why continue to raise interest rates? I don't know. Um, okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> no! Um, given where the where the inflation rate is, it, it seems I, I, I this is probably the last time they're doing so, and, and we may start seeing some easing, um, or maybe even holding the ground for a while because there's really no reason at this point. The economy does not seem overheated, uh, and any inflationary pressure is down. Um, there is, you may know this, but there there is a Wall Street bias against full employment companies don't like it because it makes the cost of labor higher if there are fewer people looking for work you got to pay more for those employees uh which may put pressure on on uh on um corporate profits but we're not seeing that yet corporate profits are doing freaking fantastic and because they're all gouging that's where all the inflation is 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 gouging from corporate america um so yeah you're not seeing the things that that Econ 101 says that we should be seeing it. And I don't, I don't have an answer as to why. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not steeped well enough in, uh, in economic matters to really understand how Biden, or how does, you know, his entire economy has bucked those trends. But yeah, inflation's coming down. And I think a lot of it is that a lot of that inflation was, was, was uh, corporate-fueled and it was artificial. And so... You know, a big part of that was used car prices. And finally, people are like, you know what? We're not going to pay these prices. They stopped buying. And lo and behold, used car prices are, are plummeting. They're down almost 15, 20% from their highs. And so uh, that has an impact on inflation because you're not paying as much for cars anymore. And, and uh, 
dose of the sort. I mean, this is maybe that is econ 101. You raise the prices too high and people will stop buying them. But, um, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what the Fed is thinking. And I, I suspect even this one was very controversial. The other ones weren't even so controversial. This one was controversial. So I think this is probably the last hike unless we see some well, big unexpected increase in inflation in the months ahead. Well, it ought to be. Lastly, just to close out Netroots, when we were there, we talked about the importance of local organizing, local representation, state by state, local communities. Um, any more insight on what you saw at Netroots and just when we talked about it, you were very excited about that local presence and the state by state presence. It, any new information? You still feel good about that? Yeah, no, I feel I feel great about our our. Um the way we're recruiting candidates, candidates are raising money. People are excited to support them. The one warning sign I see, the one red flag, is that organizations that are doing a lot of this work on the ground are, are having trouble fundraising. Um, people are not donating as much to get out the vote organizations and candidate recruitment and training organizations. And I think part of it is because the, the movement burnt out their email lists and made it untenable. And now they're doing the same with texts, right? I, I get unsolicited texts almost every day now from organizations that I didn't sign up for. So there, there's a there's a bit of killing the goose um, going on. And candidates seem to be bucking that trend for now, but it's the rest of the progressive ecosystem is getting hit. I mean, Daily Coast suffered from it as well because a lot of our fundraising was via email and it's, it led us to have to to make some, some layoffs um, at Daily Coast, and you're going to see some big layoffs in progressive organizations later this year. They're starting to realize that they can't support the staff that they do, given the amount of money that they're raising. And it's a shame because, you know, it may not have, it's going to have an impact in 2024, and it's going to have an even bigger impact moving forward unless we figure out how to sustainably support the movement without burning donors because people have abused donors. And, uh, that's the red sign I see. Aside from that, though, we're, we, we got incredible candidates. We're, we're now at a place, Mark. Mark, I don't know if you got to see the 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 sort of future leaders panel uh, on the on Saturday, which was a bunch of young Democrats like Maxwell Frost from Texas, and 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 uh, these were these were none of them were that traditional candidate pipeline, right? Back in again, we go back twenty years. Twenty years ago, to run for house, you had to be a lawyer with a network of people that would give you the money you needed to run. And who was that? It was those old white guys. I and mean, that's who ran for office. No women, no people of color, because they weren't part of that club. Now, I don't, I don't know if there's any like old white lawyers <laughs> running from the, for the house, right? We have a movement that's able to support candidates that come from non-traditional um, non-traditional sources, you know, activists and, and, uh, um, public defenders and like, it's all these, like, it's a different world. You don't need to have that money network built in and it certainly changes the game. And so we have so many better candidates. So I'm really excited about where we're going as a movement. It's, it's a much more dynamic, much more diverse, more relevant to people and uh, still too old for my taste, just a broader membership of the house and the Senate. But uh, there, there's a lot of signs there that, that we're improving and that, that younger candidates are, are becoming relevant and we can fund them and support them and get them elected. Definitely still too old, yeah. But no, it's, it's happening. It's um, the oldest house we've ever had. Really? By age. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Senate too. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, since it, people are talking about Diane, your senator Diane Feinstein and Feinstein, and and then we saw where uh, Mitch McConnell, you know, became catatonic yeah. for some reason. I mean, don't wish ill on anybody, but I mean that age piece is real. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's be honest, we've talked about our concerns with Biden. Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of anxiety, um, <laughs> but. We got, like you, as you said, we got Kamala Harris. So that's why you have vice presidents. That's why you have running mates. That's the purpose of that. Yeah. Uh, but, but not, yeah, the oldest, yeah, I guess so. These are some pretty old people. So people don't leave. That's, that's sort of the problem. People like Feinstein. There, there needs to be, that's why I have so much respect for Nancy Pelosi, who didn't just retire, but she orchestrated this transition, leadership transition to a young, dynamic, uh, new, um, Democratic leader in Hakeem Jeffries, right? It's you can do it. It's possible, uh, particularly since um, the uh, the second in command, what's his face from from Maryland, um, Pelosi's St- old lieutenant, Steny Hoyer. Yeah, he didn't want to go anywhere, and he's still in that leader. He didn't he didn't step his part down, right? So yeah, he's still got these old white men who still don't want to um, don't want to step aside for a new younger generation. So it's still a thing. But she got everybody else that was older, <laughs> old generation to step aside for this new generation of leaders. And, oh, whatever. Okay, Steny Hoyer, you can stay in the mix. But uh, hopefully everybody ignores him. Or, or maybe he brings something to the table. Maybe he brings some institutional knowledge. It's helpful. But um, we do need to see more of that leadership transition, uh, not just in the House and Senate, but I'm, you know, I'm talking you know, all across the country, state legislatures and whatnot, is, is people realizing that they've had their moment and that it's okay to sort of step aside and to mentor a new generation of leaders that is more in tune and in line with the American public if we want a party that represents America and not just what America looked like 50 years ago. We could use some of that in some of our political organizations, grassroots organizations. It's happening there. It's happening more than anywhere else. That's I gotta true. Say. That's true. Um, civil rights organizations, uh, all of the above. So, yes, yes, yes. By the way, we were talking about something just before we go, and I wanted to refresh myself on the topic. We were talking about the Fed. So I go on my tabs on my browser on Chrome to go to Twitter, and I can't find it because Twitter is now X. Oh, God. It's just yeah. a new, that's, that's a little sidebar, y'all. Just a nuisance. If you, all, if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. It's like X is now X. What is that? So anyway. It's- it's Musk being an idiot. I mean, it, it's, it's a master class in how to piss away $44 billion. I mean, and, he's managed it. And, and you've got, apparently, Zuckerberg has a trademark or a patent on X. Yeah, there's trademarks. Microsoft has them, too. Now, you got to think, thing. trademarks are very specific in their use, uh, and you have to use them to maintain them. So if Microsoft has a... 15-year-old trademark on the use of X for social media, which they do. But they haven't, there's no Microsoft X social media. There's no app. Right? So then it, do, it doesn't, it doesn't apply. Then. Like you, you, you surrender it. So it's, it's not as, it's not as simple as people make it out to be. Now, what it does mean is that some of these trademark holders may decide to sue Musk just, just to sue him because they're all petty a-holes. <laughs> all the Zuckerberg, all of them, right? They're all, they're all terrible people. So they might end up suing each other just just to be terrible people, but uh, and nobody's going to cry if a bunch of billionaires sit there and 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 rack up lawyer fees 
going after each other. Um, that's not Musk's problem, though. Musk's problem is that the only thing he had there was was Twitter's brand. He's he's systematically been working to destroy it, and now he just literally threw it away for a brand that looks like a porn site. And uh, and and people have people have pointed out, you know, somebody had a you know little strip of icons with X, and one of them is like that's a Twitter one. Like all the other six icons that this guy had, you know, pulled up were porn sites. Like X is not a particularly um, connotations <laughs> aren't but he's obsessed with it he named one of his kids x you know it's like it's, it's it's he's just he tried to he tried to name paypal x and they they booted him from the board you know he from ceo because he went on vacation they're like yeah no we're not going to name ourselves x so uh so um they kicked him out as ceo He's had this lifelong obsession. And you got you got SpaceX, you got the Model X car and Tesla. Like, like he's obsessed with this letter for whatever reason. He thinks it's edgy or cool or hip or something. It's it's weird. Hey, have you joined and, um, Zuckerberg's new thing, Threads? So um, I have a lot of high hope for it. Believe it or not, the the problem with it is that right now it's still very rudimentary. So they just yesterday announced chronological order of tweets, not some algorithmic thing. And, uh, and they still don't have a web client. And I, you know, if I'm working, I'm working on my desktop. And so I need to be able, if I'm going to write any of these threads, I need to be able to do it on my computer, not on the phone. That said, what's exciting about threads is that it's, it's going to be based on this platform, or it's going to live on this platform called ActivityPub. Now, ActivityPub is a, is a web standard. It is what Mastodon is built on, and some of the other new Twitter clones are built on. The idea being that if you are on ActivityPub website, you can actually move yourself and your followers and your content to a new to a new uh, client. If you don't like the old one, like oh, I'm a Mastodon, I'm Mastodon, I'm going to move over to to Threads. Uh, you know, Threads is not working because you know Facebook is terrible with privacy. I'll move on to this other new thing. And so platforms will compete. Not because right now we have what's called a network effect, right? People don't want to leave Twitter. You know, I have I have 180,000 followers on Twitter. I've, I've essentially stopped using it just because I can't deal with the Elon Musk stuff. 180,000 followers, though, is a very valuable group of people that I could be talking to and promoting Daily Coast and promoting my politics. And right now, it is it's lost. I like it's it's a lost asset because it's stuck on Twitter. So I either have to stay on Twitter, or I have to go somewhere else and start new. If Twitter was on ActivityPub, I could just literally move 180,000 my followers, all of them, to Threads or whatever, right? So the reason I think Threads is it's got a lot of power is because if you're like an AOC, you know, she's got eight and a half million followers on Instagram. She's got a built-in audience on day one on Threads. If she goes to Blue Sky, you got to start from scratch. If she goes to Mastodon, you got to start from scratch. But you can go to Instagram to Threads. Had eight and a half million followers, and then one day I decided, like, you know what? Screw Meta. I'm going to move my eight and a half million followers to Mastodon, and that that so that's the promise to Threads. In fact, it's so cool and it's so much so promising that you know we're looking at maybe seeing if we can move Daily Coast to it as well, because right now we have this web walled garden to participate on Daily Coast. You have to sign up at Daily Coast and create an account. And you can't share you know, that material easily in other platforms. What if we like tore down that wall and just plugged into this network that 
it you know is spread out all over the all over the the web and and uh, to me that's exciting right because it allows other people to more easily participate in daily coast and it allows daily coast users to more easily participate on other activity pub websites so that's the promise or it's still a new new standard uh, it's very nascent but that's why I'm excited about threads not because Instagram and privacy and Zuckerberg and you know they're all evil like they're terrible but if it's plugging into activity pub it validates that standard and it makes that standard the the standard i think the whole social media sphere is dramatically reshaped at that point and then you have threads and mastodon and blue sky you have them competing on features and and privacy and moderation as opposed to like hoarding and creating that that wall to prevent you from leaving because you expended effort to build an audience. Does that make sense? Did I explain I mean, that I mean, well? I mean, you did explain it very well. That's interesting. Well, keep us posted about what Daily Coast is going to do with that, you know? That's, that's very interesting. Folks, Civics with a Q, dailycoast.com, of course, as always. Check out the, the podcast, too. And as always, it's a pleasure to have our dear friend on with us. Have a good weekend, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.